Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you'd like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Now, uh, before I get started, just, just really quick, I remember when I was a youth pastor, it wasn't too, too long ago, a few years ago, I, uh, someone asked me, hey, Pastor Brandon, um, where does the Bible talk about the seven deadly sins? You know, we've heard about that a lot. And that was a good question. At the time, I thought, wait a minute, where does it talk about the seven deadly sins? And why do we have the de- seven deadly sins? And why do we even mention that in the first place? And so it was a really good thing to, to think through. And then um, I didn't have an answer for him right in the, in the moment, but... I was aware of these seven deadly sins, and I thought, well, these sound biblical. They must be biblical. Well, lo and behold, they're, they're not in the Bible as far as a passage is concerned that says these are the seven deadly sins. And so I, t- I started thinking, okay, where did, where did they come from then? And so I did some research, and I learned that a group of medieval monks actually compiled this list together. And I thought that was very interesting. I thought it was fascinating. And so what they did is they put together a list of the seven deadly sins, meaning the, all sins kind of fall under these categories. You know, everything that we can do that's in rebellion to God, we can, we can line them up here. And so I'll put them up there for you. The seven deadly sins are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, which means laziness. Doesn't mean like the animal sloth. <clears throat> Wrath means anger. Envy and pride. And if we think about all the things that really are a rebellion against God, they they fall into this. But what was fascinating, I I found it really remarkable that absent from this list is something that James actually warns us about. And it's part of this passage, which is why I remembered this. It's like, where does this fall under? And and that's slander. You know, slander is a big deal. Slander is something that we need to be talking about at the church, not something we need to be doing and talking to do, right? But we need to be having these, these teachings, these conversations about what is slander and am I supposed to be even participating in that? The answer is no. Slander is a great offense against the Lord and James takes time to write down a section here about it. And so this comes at the end of warnings against worldliness, which is very appropriate for this section to fall under that. However, we can't just get through the things that we think are important and then ah dismiss this last portion here. And so today I'm gonna just focus on these two verses because it's all about slander. And it's something that we really need to consider. It's something that we need to know uh, what is. And so slander, here's a definition from Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. And I love this definition. It is a false tale or report maliciously uttered and tending to injure the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of his fellow citizen by exposing him to impeachment and punishment, or by impairing his means of living. We're familiar with this, right? When, when I saw this and I'm looking at slander, first of all, uh, let me just ask you, and you can raise your hands or not, have you ever been slandered before? You know, that's something that I have experienced in the past. It is, it is hard. It is one of the hardest things to go through to be, say, the, the, the target of someone's slander. And I must confess, I have slandered others in the past as well. You know, why? Because this happens so instinctive 
to mankind, to human beings. This is so instinctive. And, and, and what I found fascinating is that this doesn't really fall as a, like the eight deadly sins, like slander probably should be in there. But slander is kind of a, cum a, a, a cumulation of all the seven deadly sins, let's say. It's just sin. It's, it's like you're experiencing all these things and therefore you're going to spew it out against somebody. And that's called slander. The Bible specifically says it is speaking evil against another. And, and we're warned about that. We're not supposed to be doing that as fellow believers. We're not supposed to be doing that as brothers and sisters. When I was targeted as someone to slander, that hurt. That was painful. I didn't know what to do. It felt very destructive. If you've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. Slander hurts. It's destructive. And therefore, we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't reciprocate it. But this is the instinct. Here's the thing, though. We think about this. Why don't we talk about this very often? I think this has become the nature of just our culture. I think this is what we don't just do. We're taught to do it well. You think about what you watch in the news. You think about politics. You think about just the elections. You think about even school elections, school politics, you know, being in school, being in any kind of organization or institution. There's several forms of slander. People are constantly trying to gain themselves above another. And in order to do that, you have to put someone else down, right? No, amen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you. I love uh, playing with him. But um, uh, this is something that, again, it's not just something that we do. It's something that we're taught to do it well. And so you can go to university today. You can take classes on debate. And a lot of what they teach you is actually how to slander someone to a degree. Right. But slander can go in deep. It can be very, very uh, um, hard. But the root of it is, in fact, evil. And so I was just, again, curious, like, why didn't why don't people talk about this? You know, because when I when I prepare for sermons, I, I do some reading, I kind of investigate. No one's really like bringing up the slander part of this, this section here in, in, in James. And I'm wondering why? Why are we missing this? Why are we skipping this? And so out of curiosity, I just Googled. What is the most serious sin? Just Google, you know? you know? Have you guys heard of Google? Yeah. What is the most serious sin? And interestingly enough, a Catholic website came up with the title, List of Mortal Sins Every Catholic Should Know. I thought that, 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 that looks interesting. Mortal sins. And so I clicked on it, and it said this. I, th I thought it was fascinating. In order for a sin to be mortal or deadly, it says, it must meet three conditions. One, mortal sin is a sin of grave matter. Check. Got it. I get it. Number two, mortal sin is committed with full knowledge of the sinner. Intentional. Okay. Got it. Right? And I'm, I'm trailing here. I'm following along. Mortal sin is committed with deliberate consent of the sinner. Okay. Got it. I'm thinking this is going to be a big list, right? And sure enough, there's a huge list according to this website. I thought it was fascinating. And there was things that made sense to me. I, I probably would have known these things, things like murder, idolatry, etc. Right. But then there was also things that I thought were like, wow, I didn't think of that, like sacrilege, atheism and deliberate failure of Sunday obligation. I thought, wow. Right. And I keep going on this list. I'm excited because someone's going to acknowledge this. Like the Catholics are on it. No, nothing about slander. Why? Why aren't we talking about this? You know, why are we allowing ourselves to be destroyed by one another by this means? You know, and why are we even accepting that as believers, that it is okay to speak evil against someone else? That's exactly what James is going to talk about today. And so 
I want to invite you to go to James chapter 4. And before we, leave, we read our portion today, I just want to remind you how we finished off last week. We finished last week with this passage in chapter 4, verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This word humble, we talked about what it looks like to be humble, to humble ourselves, to show humility. You know, that the Lord exalts those who are humble, but he turns away, he, he abhors those who are prideful. And so he ends that portion and says, humble yourselves therefore before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, Got some new folks here, so I just want to give a little brief recap of what we've seen so far. And, and, and I promise you, it's going to be very brief. I just want, to be, want you to be reminded of what James has been saying so far in this letter. And what he essentially has given us is a test of living as believers, a test of living, a genuine saving faith. And so we see that a true believer is humble. A true believer, a mark of a true believer is humility. So, right, remember that, okay? I, I'm a believer of Jesus. I've been saved by him. I have experienced his grace, his love, compassions. If you know that, that's humbling, okay? So a mark of a true believer is humility. And again, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And then he goes on to reveal what, several ways in how we can examine ourselves. But today we're going to look at this particular issue of, sandal, uh, of slander. And he goes on and reveals this, this way in which humility is violated and pride is revealed. This is it. If we go and start speaking slanderous words against someone, or if we start speaking evil against someone, our pride is revealed there. Okay? And so this is a very loving thing and gracious thing for, for James, the leader of the church at the time, to write to Christians, to believers who weren't immediately surrounded by him or surrounding him. They were dispersed in the outer regions of the world at that time, of their known world. So let's go to James chapter 4. Let's look at verse 11 and 12, and it says this. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Well, thank you for your word. We come before you asking you, Lord, to help us understand this, not just with our minds, but this would, that this would penetrate our hearts, Lord Jesus. That we'll be well aware of the things that glorify, that bring you honor, and the things that you hate, and the things that misrepresent you, Father, by the way that we behave and act. Lord, may your word really sink into our hearts. May we be transformed. May we not just be hearers of the word, but doers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Today's sermon title is Ruining Reputation. All right, slander, ruining reputation, goes hand in hand. I like this title because it starts with ours, Ruining Reputation. But that's something that we need to be aware of. As Christians, that's a no-go. We don't do that. There's a right way to address with the sins of people, let's say, of one another, and there's a wrong way. And unfortunately, most of the time, we deal with one another the wrong way. And so this teaching, I think, is very helpful, very beneficial to us. And so we will be seeing how speaking evil against one another or slander against one another reveals how we may think of a person. Obviously, when we slander someone, we tell everyone what we think of that person right? 
And that's, that's interesting. That's good inside of, of our hearts and where we are. But I think James is really challenging us to examine four areas of our thinking just in these two passages. And I want to I I do that. I want to examine those areas. And so, um, so that we would not be guilty of uncontrolled tongues and we would avoid the sin of slander. It's a tremendous sin. And so today we're going to examine this. One, what we think of others. We're also going to examine what we think of the law. And we're going to examine what we think of God. And we're going to examine what we think of ourselves. And this is the way that James lays it out. And so we'll go in there. Let's begin with examining what we think of others. Verse uh, 11, chapter 4, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. In other words, do not slander one another, brothers. The one who, speak, who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. Now, notice that uh, James says brothers a few times or three times, brothers, brothers, brothers. One thing that we need to be reminded of and when it comes to thinking of other people is we are blood bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, okay? We're no longer strangers. There's a relationship here, and we need to continue to develop that relationship, continue to encourage one another, continue to build each other up in love, because what the Lord has demonstrated to us is love. That's how we become family, right? I don't know what it's been lately, but my wife has been on a kick lately. She's been calling me brother, you know? And she's like, any time something goes on or she wants to make a point or something she's like listen brother you know which is it's kind of interesting coming from her but at the same time she's right you know we are brothers and sisters in the lord and so this is the relationship that we had to have and, and i'll challenge you now you know this is this is especially important for me because sometimes when someone's just slightly annoying to me you know i kind of disregard that person as a brother or sister that's just a confession and sometimes we need to do that. I think more often we need to do that is remind ourselves, okay, no, 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 no. This is a brother and sister, just like you guys. I don't know what it is, but man, it's easy to fight brother and sister, right? But nevertheless, there's this love that's just there. It's genuine. So it's, it's almost like siblings are okay with fighting each other, but nobody touches brother or sister. They'll defend each other when it comes to that. Exactly, right? This is the relationship that we have as Christians. We are brothers we are related because Jesus has redeemed us. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. But what's, a, what's a, another interesting point here in this verse, he says, the one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. That word judges, you know, there's two, two main words for that. Judges, there's evaluation and there's also condemnation. This particular word here is condemnation. And so what he's saying is he who condemns his brother also condemns the law. And so what we're talking about, slander, this is not just an evaluation of a person. This is a full-on condemnation of a person. You are seeing that person's sin and you're condemning them. And to condemn them, it pretty much means to outcast them, to cast them off, to destroy them, to annihilate, you know? There's a sense of that. And so this is the, the, the language that James is using. Now, if we backtrack a little bit, in the beginning of chapter 4, he asks, what causes quarrels amongst you? among you? What causes fight amongst you? So there's definitely conflict in the church here. And so what he's saying is we cannot, we should not condemn our brothers, our sisters. That is not good. So we have been called, in fact, to do the opposite of that. As, as Christians, this is a wrong thing to do because Jesus has not called us to condemn one another and to judge one another in this way. What has he called us to do? To love one another. In fact, let me take you to John 13, 34. 
Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As Christians, we're disciples of Christ. We are learners of him. We are submitting ourselves under his authority and his teaching. And he says that people will know that you are my disciples, that you are Christians by the way that you love one another. That's something that's observable. It is also very observable when you slander someone, right? And so a a hallmark, let's say, of being a disciple of Jesus is the love that we have one another. And why do we love one another? Why? Because that person deserves it. Because that person's easy to love. Maybe, maybe not. Because Christ loved us. That's the reason. He expressed his love for us, and therefore we love because he first loved us. That's the bottom line. It's called grace. It's called compassion, right? It's love. And so that's what we've been called to do, not to slander one another. To slander is straight up evil. And I love the translation here. It says, do not speak evil against one another. That's what it is. Now, we expect to be slandered as Christians, Peter warns us of that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 3. And so it's not an unusual thing to be slandered by the outsiders, let's say, by those who do not know Christ, who have this habit of doing it. That's fine. In fact, that's to be expected. But slander within the church, ruining each other's reputation within the body of Jesus, that's, that's a big problem. That's a big red flag. That's a no-go. Okay? So I, I just want to make sure that we understand this. Why? Because when we slander one another, we think less of the other person. That's what we're thinking of the other person. When we slander one another, we're actually consuming the church as a fire does a forest. That's what we're doing. What are we called to do? We're, we're called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there's a promise that Jesus will be with us at, until the end of time, right? To slander is exactly the opposite. We're not building anything. We're consuming something. We're destroying things. And so we have to be aware of that. Look at Galatians 5, 15. It says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Consider that. When we slander, we're actually destroying the church. We're not participating in building up the kingdom of God. God will build his church. But I promise you, if it's your slanderer, it's not going to be through you. In fact, you're, you, you're kind of an adversary at that point, and we'll get into that in just a second. But we are generally very quick to point out people's flaws, and we need to make sure that we're not doing that. We need to make sure that we have brakes on the pedals when it comes to how we think of others. And Jesus warns us against such actions in Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5. Some of you guys are very familiar with this passage, but I want to take a moment to just look at it and be reminded, because it's good to be refreshed. Human beings forget things, right? And so let's look at Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5. This is the warnings that Jesus gives against such actions. He says in in chapter 7, verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounced, you, for, for with the judgment, excuse me, you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. That's, a, that's really good imagery right there, right? It says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, 
What's Jesus saying? Is before you point your finger at somebody else, consider yourself. Because if you're considering someone else as a greater sinner than you are, you're missing something. We'll get into that in a second. You're missing something, but before you actually address someone, because there are moments where our brothers and sisters may be behaving in a sinful manner, all right? And they need, they need to be addressed appropriately. But first consider your own sin, for we are all sinners, for we have all been redeemed by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's a right way to address this, and there's a wrong way to do it. Sometimes we think we're being heroes by speaking, this, speaking against the sin of our brothers or sisters, and then that ends up being slander. But Jesus also gives us a good prescription on how to do that, and we find that in Matthew chapter 18. So if there is sin, uh, sin among us, there is a right way to deal with that as well. Chapter 18 of Matthew, uh, let's look at that really quick, so that we are well instructed, right? We want to know how to uh, live according to God's will. It says this in chapter uh, 18, verse 15 through 17. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. One on one. Go directly to the person. Have that conversation with him in love. This is a loving thing to do because you're not ruining that person's reputation. You're addressing them one, 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 one on one, right? And if it says here, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is the intention of that. The intention is not to ruin that person, but to gain that brother back, to redeem them from whatever it is that needs to be addressed, right? And if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, keyword evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, telling it to the church doesn't mean go gossip. And go slander. Okay? It means go talk to the leaders, talk to the elders, or do it in a way that's very clear and kind and loving. We're doing this because you are not listening. And some of us have seen church discipline actually happen from the pulpit. You know, but this is a very loving thing to do. The whole goal here is actually to gain that brother back from whatever sin is ensnaring them. Okay, and then it says, if you refuse to uh, take it to the church and let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So at that point, you can just let him go. You can just say, see ya. I love you, but I think we need a little space. That's the right way to deal with it. The wrong way is to just start blasting them. All right. And by the way, when you're going to the church, it's a, it's a, they know that you're doing that. So it's not a surprise to the person that you're addressing. And so perhaps we slander because of how we think of others. Okay? So let's be mindful of how we think of others. And so the next thing I want to look at, examine ourselves, is, is what we think of the law. And what we think of the law may also reveal our pride over our humility. James says, and I'm going to continue here in verse 11, the one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Again, this word is condemn. Okay? You are not a doer, but a condemner of the law. And so the next step, I think of this self-evaluation makes perfect sense considering the fact that we have been commanded to love one another. He's mentioning the law because the law states to command. I mean, commands to love, right? The, the whole intention there is an expression of God's love for his people. Sometimes we think that rules are just the most detrimental things. I remember when I was a kid, you probably think the same thing. Anytime mom and dad has rules for our lives, we think, why mom and dad? Don't you say you loved me, right? 
But the fact of the matter is that we have rules and we have laws because it is an expression of love. You know, and we'll see that a little bit here in a second. A, a nation that implements rules according to the Lord's rules and values is a nation that expresses love for the people. It really does. It really does. A nation that doesn't have rules and doesn't have measures is just setting up the, the nation for chaos. And that's a very unloving thing to do. And so what I want to do is actually I want to take a moment to consider what the law says. But before we do that, I want you to understand this. And this is Romans chapter 13, 8. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So when we love, when we express that love to one another, by not slandering, by not speaking evil against one another, by not hating one another, we're fulfilling the law. That's, that's according to God's will. That pleases the Lord. So what I want to do is I want to take a quick examination of what the law does. Now, Jesus summed up the law very well. How did he do it? Love God, love others. In this, you will fulfill the law, he says. Love God, love others. So that means that the entire law is about love. Just really briefly, I want to go through the Ten Commandments that you may see this, that we may, be, again, reminded of what it is that the Lord has given us. First commandment says, you can find this in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, by the way. First commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Think about this. How is love shown here? Think about it. Take me a minute. I was thinking, thinking, where's the love of God here? This shows that love is not fickle. It's not wishy-washy. It's not double-minded as James House is expressing. This shows that it's a devoted and loyal love. This is the love of God for us as well. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make yourself an idol anywhere. This demonstrates that love is faithful. Idols, things again the way, is, a, is an expression of infidelity, but this demonstrates love, love's faithfulness, not only in attitude, but also in practice. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This reveals love to be respectful. The Lord calls us to be respectful towards him and to others. Now, remember, uh, 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 fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This describes love's intimacy or devotion to its object. To remember it, to mind it, to set it apart. You see that? The fifth one, honor your father and your mother. <clears throat> Kids, <clears throat> honor your father and your mother. This reveals love to be submissive to authority. To be submissive is an expression of love. And in this particular case, it's represented by parents. But we also must be submissive to one another as the word commands us to do. Uh, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. This expresses the value that love places on others, the dignity of life. Love one another, do not hurt one another. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. This shows love to be pure. And it desires purity, right? This, this, is the, this is like, I'm going to set myself apart for you, the object of our love. We do this with our spouse, right? It would never defile a person and would not want that person to be defiled, the one whom we love. This is beautiful. Uh, the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. It shows that love is unselfish. It seeks to give and not to take. You know, when we slander people, we're taking from their reputation. We're ruining them. We're bringing them to ruin for the hope that we are exalted and elevated. But 
to steal does not seek to take, but rather to give. How can I be an encouragement? How can I uh, give, bring wisdom and hope and not take it? The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This demonstrates love's truthfulness. It's honest. It's kind. This is a sense of compassion. This is good. When, when there's truthfulness in a relationship, it thrives, right? And then finally, uh, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. This expresses love's unselfish contentment. Love is content with what it has and it wishes the best for others. Let's self-evaluate here. What do we think of the law? Do you think that the law says it well? Do you think it fulfills it well? Right? If it doesn't, then why do we try to take our, the place of the law? Is the law of God not enough to be able to deal with our brothers and sisters? Do you see how this, lo- this, this, this law articulates God's love for us? And he gave this law to us to promote love. So when we forget these things, we forget to love one another. So let's not forget the law of the Lord, right? He has given us to us because he loves us. And if we don't love one another, then we are living against the law. We are in violation of the law. And James warns us in verse 11 here that you are not a doer of the law, but a judge, a condemner of the law. This is not only disrespect to the law, this is also disrespect to the law giver. Because when we slander people, We're saying the law is not sufficient. I need to come in and fix this. And so that's a disrespect to the law and also disrespect to the lawgiver. So let's also examine what we think of God, therefore, the lawgiver. Let's go to verse 12 in chapter 4 of James. It says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. The one who places himself above the law by slandering also, also places himself above God. That's just what's happening right there. God is the only lawgiver. He's the only one who is able to judge us, and he does it very well. This is the same when we try to do this, when we try to take the place of the law, we try to take the place of God. You know, this is the same as desiring supremacy over God. Now, let's define the word devil again. We did this last week. What does it mean? The devil means deceiver and slanderer. Do you see that? It's someone who's looking to be supreme by condemning someone else. And, and Satan constantly expressed this. He wanted to be superior to God. He wanted to be superior to that. Look at Isaiah 14, 13 through 14 in regards to Satan's motives, a desire for superiority. It says this. Look at all these I wills. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the, in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Essentially, this is our expression when we slander others. We're taking the position of God and only he can have that authority. Only he has that authority because we, make, we try to make ourselves the lawgiver and the judge. But here's what's very different between us and God. All right. And remember this. We are not able to save. We're also not able to destroy. Why do I say? You might be thinking, wait, we can destroy things. This particular word to destroy does not mean to annihilate. It means to cast off into eternal destruction. We don't have that power. We don't have the authority. We can't do that. And we also can't save. God can. He has that position. He has the authority. He is the lawgiver. And only he can judge people the way that is truly just. Right? So we need to take ourselves down from that pedestal. 
and not say, I will set this straight. Okay? Instead, I will trust on the Lord and and lean not in my own understanding. That's the direction that we should take. We don't have the power to impose good judgment unto someone else. We don't even have that. And so that brings us uh, here to our final things. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you what 1 Corinthians 1.18 says. It says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So when you think you got it together, when you think you're in the right and you're in the position to be able to bring justice to someone, just remember God, God is ready to deal with us in that way. And that's, that's also an expression of love. Discipline is, right? So just be reminded of that. When we think we can judge others, remember, stop. Think of who you are. Who are you to judge someone else? In fact, that's the next part that James asks in uh, the last portion of verse 12. He says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So let's think of what we think of ourselves. That's very important. What do we think about ourselves? But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to condemn your neighbor? Uh, In today's English, this might have read, who in the world do you think you are? That's, That's really it. So James is not actually asking the question. For them to answer it's really like a self-reflection question no really who are you who are you to think that you have the authority the power the ability to judge someone else to condemn someone else can i remind you of something that you have been saved by grace it is god's grace over you that that you were found in the condition of being sinful that while you were still sinners that christ died for you so at no point were you ever righteous until god gave you his righteousness and so that means that you're a recipient of grace. Oh, so who are you? Uh, you're a recipient of grace. Therefore, that person must also be a recipient of grace from us. We love because God loved us. We have grace because God is gracious to us, right? We're kind because God is kind to us. We are compassionate because God is compassionate to us. We don't, we're not superior over our brothers and sisters. Now, God has given authority to some over others that are different, right? And we ought to submit to one another's leadership, but that's not to say that I am much more refined, let's say, and sanctified than you are, therefore I have the ability to condemn you. No. Then we cross the line. And so we must not do that. Look at Romans 12:3. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of you, of, or among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. All of us are sinners. All of us. Yes, even you. (laughs) You know, we have all experienced the goodness of God, especially when we don't deserve it. You know, we have to consider this. When we think of our brothers and sisters, it's like, I have been redeemed. I have, God has expressed something to me that is really unfathomable. Wow. If you really self-evaluate, you're probably and most likely not, not much better than whoever it is that you feel you need to condemn. And so who do we think, what do we think of ourselves? Do we really think that we're high and mighty? Do we really think that we're better than we are? You know, (laughs) Let's just remember, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We must understand that there's a great effect in slandering. 
When we slander one another, we destroy one another. We do the opposite of what God has commanded us to do. He's called us to love one another, not to ruin each other, but to build up, to care for one another, to love one another. Amen? I want to leave you with just a few takeaways. To experience victory over slander, we must take our proper place under the law's authority. You are not above the law. I am not above the law of the Lord. Okay? The law of the Lord is an expression of his love for us. Okay? To be above that is to want to take his place or to take the place of God. Let's not do that. Let's remember our place. And that's under the authority of the law, which is an expression of love in itself. Takeaway number two, slandering others is the opposite of humility and love. It's straight, straight cut right there. It is the opposite of humility and love. In fact, when we slander someone, it exposes our pride. And takeaway number three, love one another. This is the command, because Jesus loves you. And he expressed that love on the cross. You know, the reason why he was crucified was because he took the sin that you deserved to pay for onto himself, that his righteousness would be counted onto you. That is an expression of love. In fact, the Bible says there is no greater love than that, that he who died for his friends. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to endure for one another? Are you willing to engage with one another in love, in kindness, in compassion, right? And then just be reminded, the Lord is not pleased when we slander one another. That is to burn the church. That is to annihilate it. We are not called to do that. And so I want to leave you with this. Just this short video, read it, meditate on it, and then we'll close with a worship song. Amen? Let's bow our heads before we look at this. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Lord, we ask that you would really, really develop this in our lives, that we would be like that fertile soil that receives it and bears much fruit. We know that your disciples are known by the love that they have for one another. Help us be a very clear example of what it is to be your disciple. We also know that people will know that you, we are your true disciples by the fruit that we bear. So Lord, we ask that you would help us just continue to be gracious to one another, that we would be able to exemplify you well. And we also know that those who are disciples of Jesus are those who abide with him. So Father, beckon us, Father, to come near to you, to learn from you, to take the word that you have given us, Lord Jesus, seriously and to be developed and to be refined and to be corrected and to be taught and built up, Lord Jesus, for your glory and not ours. We submit to you. We love you. We praise you. And Lord, help us love the way that you love. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.